0: Hello, everyone. Uh, I'm your host for today, Nipun Jasuja from the Wharton Fintech Club. And for today's podcast, we are in conversation with Tobin McDaniel. As you may know, Tobin is the president of Schwab Wealth Investment Advisory, a registered investment advisor, and the sponsor of Schwab Intelligent Portfolios, which is Charles Schwab's new automated investment advisory service. Schwab Intelligent Portfolios uses sophisticated computer algorithms to build, monitor, and rebalance diversified portfolios, based on an investor's stated goals, time horizon, and risk tolerance, without charging any advisory fees, commissions, or account services fees. It's a robo-advisory world out there, and we are great to see see what Charles Schwab is doing in this space. Prior to his current role, McDaniel served as the Chief of Staff of Charles Schwab, founder and chairman of the Charles Schwab Corporation. McDaniel joined Charles Schwab & Co. in 2011 as the Managing Director of Retail Strategy, where he led strategy development and strategic initiatives for the investor services business. And to top it all, we are proud that Tobin is a Wharton MBA alumnus from the Klaus Class of 2006. So we are super excited to have him on our podcast today and speaking to him. So, Tobin, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks, Nipun. I'm, I'm happy to be here, happy to be talking, uh, talking with you and talking with Wharton.
0: Yeah, that's, it's always glad to have. Uh, how many? It's been 11 years since you graduated now.
1: It's amazing. It's been 11 years.
0: You'll see it goes <laughs> fast. I know. I think I, I am a second year at this point, and it's just crazy how like one year is over already, and we have all those like, you know, nostalgia for everything that happened last year, and we have first years <laughs> on campus now. So it's absolutely crazy. Uh, but Tobin, really appreciate the time that you're taking to talk to us right now. Um, wealth management, investment management as a broader topic is of super interest to Wharton students. And specifically with the advent of FinTech, all the automation happening in the space with machine learning algorithms, I think we just attract, um, you know, a, a lot of interest in the space. And we had our first club hub yesterday. And I cannot tell you how many people came and stopped by to ask, you know, what we do in the wealth management space, what's the kind of people we speak with. Uh, so it's very, very timely that we're speaking with you. And thank you again.
1: Oh, my pleasure. Yeah. And there's lots of there's a lot happening in, in FinTech and wealth management. So So plenty to discuss today.
0: Absolutely. Uh, so just to get started, I know I gave a bit of a background on just, you know, what your your current role is and how you've been involved with Charles Schwab, but we would just today love to get to know a bit more about your background, you know, since like your undergrad days maybe and how did the whole career trajectory has panned out to where you are today?
1: Sure, sure. Happy to give a quick overview and, and I'll hit the highlights because you, 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 you gave a good overview as well. So uh, I started my professional career as a chemical engineer. I have been Undergrad degree in chemical engineering, Um, but I was always sort of a passionate investor on personally and on the side. I I was in college during the dot-com boom, and so learned a lot about investing and trading online, and then learned a lot about losing money uh, in the dot-com bust. Um, But uh, but I but I was professionally an engineer, uh, and then uh, uh, ultimately came to Wharton, got an MBA. like many consultants i went to or like many mbas i went into consulting and worked at mckinsey for a few years uh, and then eventually found my way to schwab uh, and I, I wasn't really sure i'd ever work in financial services um i, I knew i was passionate about investing but uh, it was really once i found a company that was so focused on clients and so focused on improving investing for everyday americans that i realized that that might be a home for me and so as you mentioned i joined schwab on uh, the retail strategy team, great opportunity to see across the business and learn the business. And then I was uh I was chief of staff for our founder, Chuck Schwab. Um so an incredible opportunity to see uh, uh to learn from Chuck, uh learn about the vision he had for the has for the company uh that he founded you know 40 years ago and and learn the company at very at a very high level. Um uh while while I was working for Chuck, um we were paying lots of attention to fintech. Uh, and into into robo-advice, and so as Schwab uh, uh, made its way into uh, robo-advice by launching intelligent portfolios uh, two and a half years ago, I moved out from working to, for Chuck and, and started leading our robo-advisor. We've been in the market two and a half years and have, have learned plenty, uh, and um, I'll tell you more about that as, this, as the conversation goes on.
0: All right. That is fascinating. Um also a career trajectory that I'm sure a lot of MBA students are looking towards, you know, consulting and then going and finding an area that they are passionate about. And I would love it, to it come is back a pre- to is a, It
1: is a pretty, it's a common path. And, and, and harnessing that passion uh, and my passion for investing and helping people uh, achieve their dreams through investing, uh, it, it's, it's been, a, been a, a great stretch of my career. And, and,
0: and, and I encourage everyone to figure out what those passions are. Yeah, fantastic. Um, So you did mention already you joined Schwab and you joined in 2011, which was obviously pre all of the buzz that we had, but so much of the fintech that we have today. So could you just talk about a bit about your perspectives on the automated investing landscape in the U.S., you know, how it has evolved over the last four or five years and the opportunities and challenges that you see today and maybe five, 10 years down the road?
1: certainly i you know, i think we i think we're still in the relatively early stages of automated investing of robo advice or digital advice you know some of the early companies have been around 5 years or more now um, a lot of the major players have entered the space but uh, everybody's still i believe relatively small uh, you know with schwab intelligent portfolios we have roughly 20 billion in assets under management which sounds like a big number until you realize schwab has a trillion and a half dollars of retail yeah. investors' assets. Um, there's a long way to go for automated investing to really achieve its potential. Um, I, I, this is a, a major wave of the future using technology to bring high quality advice to a much, much wider audience and to bring the sophistication of investing to a much wider uh, audience. And so, you know, I think it's early days, but the growth is encouraging. I think what the space, uh, and the automated investing industry will need to do is not just continue developing great user experiences and technology, but move beyond just the investing to helping uh, investors think about their whole financial lives because so many people need need help thinking about their broad financial life, what are their long term goals uh, how are they going to achieve them uh, what sort of trade offs do they need to make in their lives frankly. Most investors, I think, need something like a financial plan, uh, which has long been something you need to go work with a financial planner in an office to do. Um, mm-hmm. You know, as we've looked at how the space evolves, we launched our robo advisor two and a half years ago. We launched a, a, what we're calling a hybrid model, Schwab Intelligent Advisory, just this year, that combines digital online financial planning, working with a financial planning over video, a financial planner over video chat, right. and then getting. Automated investing and because we think really you know if you think about where wealth management needs to go Which is actually where what automated investing is it's it's helping with wealth management It's bringing more digital across wealth management to make it more accessible and allow people to engage with our industry the way They want to which you know so much so many people so many of us want to engage with all of our uh, everybody we work with in a digital way and I think our industry has a ways to go uh, to do that so I think it's the expansion beyond just investing to broader financial planning and broader wealth management through digital.
0: No, that that certainly makes sense. And it also is indicative in, uh, you know, uh, as Wharton, we travel to San Francisco every year for a fintech trek and we go and meet a bunch of startups. And it was just amazing for us last time when we went, which was in March earlier this year, Uh, how many of the companies are planning to own the entire sort of relationship with the customer? And it wasn't just about providing like one one product. And that's why all of a sudden you're seeing like, you know, investing companies entering into lending and lending companies beginning to offer wealth management platforms. So just on that topic, right, uh, where do you see is sort of this balance between startups trying and owning the whole relationship? Versus startups trying to work with more established players in doing something which actually works across the board, combining the best competitive advantages, or do you mm-hmm. think it's going to be that big players actually will be the one that dominate ultimately by just incorporating more fintech elements in how they do business?
1: Uh, so it's an inter- it's really an interesting question to think about how the industry is going to evolve. Um, you know, if you just think about robo investing um, as as one element of fintech initially, one of the one of the real challenges with robo-investing on its own is, is, can it be a standalone business model for a company? And as you said, a lot of companies are now trying to incorporate more elements of a relationship, uh, because one, that's what the consumer wants, and two, that may be a better business model. So I, I think you're seeing that evolution. You're seeing, uh, you know, big banks uh, bring fintech in. Uh, you know, it's going to be fascinating to see who wins. I mean, I think there's, Opportunity for both to win uh, or both to have success. You know, it's you know large companies um, sometimes uh, struggle to innovate quickly, um, but they do have the scale to reach many, many, many uh, consumers. Right? They have millions of relationships. Uh, and, and for all the all the the fintech startups, it's can they uh, build their brands and, and reach scale quickly enough? And of course, as you mentioned, you know those there's others who are trying to provide the technology that powers. Uh, the industry. And I think that's a great business model that, you know, it's been a proven business model for a long time in our industry, long before the most recent wave of fintech. Um, there are plenty of companies who've built great technology that becomes part of the backbone of financial services. Um, but I think that that integrated business model does appear to be sort of, people are gravitating towards that um, from the fintech space in some places because they're finding that's what what's needed to win.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so then... Uh- Thinking along these same lines, right, so in the sort of whole landscape where so much is going on, um, where do you really see, like, Schwab's new, like, robo-advisory focus fit in, and what is really the differentiated value proposition compared to all the other players that we are seeing in the market?
1: Sure. You know, well, for Schwab, I think it's worth stepping back and thinking about how we thought about entering um, the robo-marketplace, how we thought it would fit in our business. You know, if I go back about three years ago, which was around the time we started building our Robo advisor it was sort of recognizing there's this great trend in the industry um, towards Robo advice technology that is going to uh, make it much easier to serve and help investors mm-hmm. uh, which is right in line with our ethos which is you know looking through client eyes and helping trying to help the everyday investor uh, do better and so we felt it fit really naturally with our business uh, particularly a business that has had a long history of working with self-directed investors who've had an aversion to paying high fees for advice or working uh, with advisors in the traditional way. And so we saw a strong, strong fit with our, with our business model. And we also saw an opportunity to uh, reinvigorate our, our long history of in- innovation. You know, Schwab was one of the first discount brokerages. I mean, it's amazing to think at one time it cost $250 to trade a stock um, mm-hmm. in, in $1970 dollar terms, not in today's terms. Uh, We were one of the first to start to use, uh, you know, uh, online trading. We've made innovations all along the way, and we felt like this might be and is the next big wave uh, for the industry. And so, uh, you know, we said this is a way for us to continue innovating, and we thought we had the opportunity to do it in a way that uh, could be more compelling than uh, many of the other players in the industry. Because we have uh, a strong, established brand, uh, an integrated business model, and a broad base of people to help investors, we thought we could build a robo-advisor that delivered an incredibly compelling value proposition. So, as you mentioned, we don't charge any management fees uh, on the robo-advisor um, because it's part of our broader business. Uh, and we also have you know 24-7 people support for a robo-advisor. Now, obviously, investors attracted to robo-advice, Want to use digital, um, but we, we what we know is um, when markets get rocky, they might want to talk to somebody. And Schwab has a lot of people here who could help them. And so we think that combination of our value, our brand, and actually the the strong history and, and the breadth of people backing up our robo advisor really helps us stand out in the industry.
0: No, yeah, that makes sense, and I think. Uh, you you mentioned already that there's obviously the brand and the customer sort of base that you get from uh, being with Charles Schwab. Are there other advantages or sometimes perhaps disadvantages of being with a larger player and trying this more like, you know, new business, which obviously you have to like do a bunch of things if you're in alignment with a bigger company. So what are your thoughts on that?
1: You know, I I think. For us, it has been primarily uh, advantages. I think within large companies in general, there might be some disadvantages. But for us, the advantage of having a large company with a talented set of people who know the industry really well, who know investing incredibly well, has helped us shape our product. Um, We're also given the latitude to move quickly and in a very standalone way. So we didn't have to worry about conflicts necessarily with other parts of the business. Uh, and that helped avoid one of the disadvantages you may see in larger firms, where obviously bringing a new, very low-cost product to market, um, we think is fantastic for our investors. Uh, other companies might say, you know, that could conflict with products they have already. Um, and then, you know, I think the the large the brand of Schwab meant that our robo advisor got a lot of attention right away.
0: We
1: mm-hmm. um, got a lot of people investing in it right away. We a lot of clients right away. And there's no better way to learn. Um, you know how your product needs to evolve, uh, then just having investors um, put put money in it and and you start start working with them. So I mean, all of those have been advantages, and of course, just the you know for us the advantage of being a large, well-trusted brand, um, having people who are thinking about entering the robo space but were waiting for a brand uh, they knew and trusted. I mean, that's been a huge advantage
0: uh, as well. Interesting. And uh, just again, because you, you did mention like customers and investors around robo advisory and given the fact that you were with Retail Strategy with Charles Schwab as well, um, what is really the target audience for a robo advisory platform right now? And I ask this because I'm obviously with a bunch of late 20, early 30 year olds right now in the MBA program. Yeah. And frankly, I don't think a lot of us are thinking about investing in like the right way or like there's so many options out there. So are people like us your target audience right now? Should we be thinking about these platforms? Like, well, what is your sense on the retail strategy here? Uh, I,
1: well, first, I'd say yes, you should be thinking about these platforms. <laughs> but I, 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 and hopefully, hopefully ours. But uh, you should be thinking about these platforms. Although I know you are in the um, you know paying for business school uh, phase right now, so maybe in a couple years it'll be more realistic um, once you're out. Uh, but you know, the target audience um, is it's. You know, when this in- industry, you know, actually, if we look back a few years ago before we launched, this industry was looked at as an opportunity to uh, an industry for millennials. Robo advice was for millennials or younger investors, which is certainly true. But as it, you know, what what is also true and more important is, you know, this is for a wide range of investors because people of all ages, um, you know, want high quality advice they want they don't want to pay a lot of money and they want technology to make their lives better uh you know in investing just like it does everywhere else right you know the 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 smartphones are ubiquitous and have been for a long while um maybe young younger uh, folks lean a little more towards uh robo advice but we have clients of all ages uh, so we have clients from age 18 to to in their 80s um now we do sort of have a concentration and, and a focus on let's say, you know, younger professionals 30 plus, uh, age 30 plus, uh 30s into their their young 40s. Um, pr- when people really start to get serious about investing, right? Which, you know, as, you know, people in business school, uh you likely will once you get out of business school, uh you'll start to have some money to invest. Um and I think this is a great way to uh not just get started, but if you've been someone who've been who's been looking for a better way, um this is a great way to invest too. So it really is a broader audience than what people thought it was a few years ago
0: yeah that makes sense and on that note also right because sometimes um, there's a lot of people that obviously have a financial background at least in the wharton context and even more broadly the people who actually understand investing but there's a lot of people who actually get scared away by these things because there's financial jargon there's a lot of terms and contracts that don't frankly make sense and a lot of people, especially like the millennials, would love to think about investing more in terms of their beliefs. Oh, I would like to invest in companies with certain kinds of CEOs or certain kinds of practices. So, how do you think robo-advisory evolving into a space where it becomes, you know, more human-like, where you can like express such things, and then the, you know, the algorithm sort of interprets what that means from an investment standpoint, and accordingly makes a decision on where your money should go. Well, I think uh,
1: you you raise some some great points there. I mean. It, you know, investors have preferences and investors have concerns. Uh, that's one of the, as we go back to the, when we talked about the challenges for, for automated investing, um, you know, that's where we think, you know, having a person involved, maybe even remotely over video, uh, lighter touch than traditionally, helps investors who are a little more hesitant, less familiar with investing, need a little bit more um Hands-on help, but not a lot. I think that's going to be critical to really grow the scale of of digital advice. Uh, It's really actually going to be digital plus people along the way, because um, you know I think you know this is about people's money. It's about their hopes and dreams. It's about saving for the long run and expressing their personal preferences. Technology will continually get better at allowing that to happen, but a little bit of that human reassurance and human help and guidance, I think is is going to be very important. And that's what we've seen already. uh, And that's what we've learned over, you know, 40 years in this industry. Uh, It's just a, this is a, you know, it's an important topic and and not everyone uh, feels incredibly comfortable with it and they want a little help.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And I think um, it's just heartening to see that more and more companies are moving along that direction because, you know, there is this sort of daunting sense when you're putting your money in and it going in a black box with you not having any idea as to what's going on. And the more transparency and simplification that comes, the better it is.
1: You know, that's one of the things we learned uh, really early with with Schwab and Intelligent Portfolios. We, um, you know, all, all the clients were signing up online or on their phones, but we saw actually a much higher rate than we expected of people chatting with us or maybe even calling in once in a while. And actually, often they were just trying to make sure they're kind of kicking the tires on it, understanding, you know, what was the, who were the people behind this? What was the logic behind it? And um, so maybe it was a three minute, you know, chat online or maybe a quick phone call, but having a little bit of reassurance of what what was there has helped uh, our investors a lot. Mm-hmm. And actually, I think it's an important thing. I mean, there's, you know, I think we, those of us who are passionate about uh, fintech, um you know, I think this sometimes is a bit of a over-rotation of thinking about the tech, but it starts with people's money, with the fin. Uh, this is people's money and money for the long run. And um, when, when I talk about we're managing $20 billion, we're managing $20 billion for people, and that's what matters most. The money comes first. The investments come first. The technology enables it and makes it easier. Um, but staying focused on what we're actually doing for people um, is, is, you know, uh, is vital.
0: Yeah, makes sense. And so, given the fact again that you mentioned that Finn is involved, uh, the one thing that again comes to mind is that most of the fintech players and most of these technology sort of initiatives have all come up after the financial crisis that happened in two thousand seven, two thousand eight, and mm-hmm. the market really hasn't seen a correction yet. So, is there a concern no. from your end that you know, like potentially there could be a crisis or some sort of a recession in the next few years, and that might scare like a bunch of people away from these platforms?
1: Well, I, I, I'm not in the market of I, I'm not in the business of trying to prognosticate downturns. But what we do know is the market goes up and down, and I think right. one of the really um, fair concerns about uh, this space is how how it will help investors in a downturn, um, because what we've learned, you know. Uh, over the long history of Schwab is it's not just about getting people into the market, it's about keeping them in the market, right? There were way too many investors who got out at exactly the wrong time in 2008, 2009, and then stayed on the sidelines for far too long, right, and missed a lot of the recovery. I mean, it's a natural thing. You see the market going down, you get concerned. And so, you know, we've, we've tried to do a couple things to um, combat, combat that. One, we've built portfolios that we think uh, have a really high level of sophistication and diversification that will hopefully help cushion a little bit of a downturn, uh, mm-hmm. if if and when there is a downturn, right? That's why you have a diversified portfolio. That's why you have uh, equities and, and bonds and cash. You have sort of a, all this diversification to sort of uh, help help the investor ride through the markets. Uh the other thing we're trying to do is help investors focus on their long term goals so a little a little bit of a downturn doesn't mean you're still not on track or still not saving for something long run and then again I feel like I keep going back there, but that um having that you know human help uh to counsel someone to be a little bit of a uh an armchair uh you know uh, psychologist when they when they get nervous that's important, and that will be important in a downturn. Um, you know, we've not had a big downturn um, in, in, a, in a while. If yeah. I even look at some smaller ones, uh, so in January 2016, uh, I think the U.S. markets were down a little over 10%. Okay. Um, we saw a real spike in phone calls um, <laughs> from intelligent portfolio clients. Um, the good news is they called us, they talked to us. Very few of them actually changed the course. 99% of people stayed the course. Um, of those who did something a little different, actually many of them just added more money and a few went more conservative. Um, but we saw even in a relatively modest um, uh, correction uh, that there, there people wanted to know what they should be doing. And, and I think that's going to be what, I think that'll be true when there's a big correction, whenever there inevitably will be one.
0: Well, that that's, that's really, really good to hear. And again, I, you have mentioned this, but again, it makes sense that there is a huge rush towards just you know automating everything, but the human element of things is still very critical, and especially in in examples like these, it becomes evidently clear how that plays a huge role in perhaps providing yeah. the best possible customer service and the best possible product. That's
1: right.
0: So, what really is like the, the the end vision for Schwab Intelligent Portfolios? You know, within the broader business, how do you see this evolving in the next like ten, fifteen years within Schwab and What, what from your perspective, is the vision?
1: When I think about um, when I think about Schwab Intelligent Portfolios and our intelligent advisory products, it's really the digitization of wealth management, and so providing um, both first a great user experience. User experience is paramount. Second, um, the great a great backbone to do more and more uh, wealth management activities from portfolio management which we see today to financial planning to other other items at scale because it's being powered uh, by algorithms uh, and then weaving in the the, the human elements uh, where it makes sense and I think if we think of if we look at how this industry will change over the next decade uh, digitals really going to come to the forefront even more um, you know it, it's been an industry that I think has uh, been slow to change and, and maybe slower to adopt digital than, than others, but you can see the activity in fintech, the activity inside of large companies, the investments being made. Uh, everyone recognizes there's a need to change how we help investors and how we serve investors, and, and that's going to be the drive. And so, in, in terms of the areas I work on, uh, I just want to keep powering that change for the, for the parts of Schwab that. That, 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 I, um, that I'm responsible for and uh, make sure that we're able to be the best at helping investors in a decade, um, You know that, that investors look to Schwab and know that they'll get the best experience, the best technology um, to help them with whatever they're saving and investing for.
0: That's great. Really good to hear. Um, and now as we move towards sort of the last bit of our podcast, switching gears a little bit and talking a bit more about your career trajectory so far. And more yeah. recently, how has the transition been from your prior chief of staff role with uh, Chuck Schwab uh, to your current role? And what have you? What do you think have been your biggest learnings as, as you have been operating this venture?
1: Well, um, the the first, you know, the opportunity to work for Chuck Schwab for a couple of years uh, helped him uh, sort of think about the things he's interested in, um, stay t- closely involved in in the areas of the company he's passionate uh, about. It was fantastic. I learned so much from his vision and from working with the rest of our um, uh, executive management team. You know, there are a couple of things that really helped me in the transition from working with Chuck to leading uh, uh, our digital advice and our robo advisor. First was his unending focus on the client experience and ability to put himself in the shoes of a client and say, you know, this could be better, this just doesn't make sense. I mean, one of the things you actually mentioned earlier was our industry does often can make things a little bit confusing. This is a hard topic for many people to understand. The ability to communicate simply uh, and think about what the investor is trying uh, to do, I mean, that's at the core of our business. Uh, and That's something Chuck is remarkable at doing and has been remarkable at for a long time. And so being able to sort of try to think that and remember to do that um, and stay focused on that all the time has been very valuable for me. And then the other thing that's been really valuable is I got to see uh, his optimism uh, up close for two years. Uh, You know, He's an incredibly optimistic guy, uh, both about sort of the power of investing, but also about the power of technology to apply itself to our business. And so um, I learned to look at everything through sort of a positive viewpoint. Even when we hit the inevitable rough patches, uh, stay optimistic for the long run, and and, and it helps you solve problems faster. Um, that was that was a really uh, valuable part of the experience. has helped me in the transition. And you know, the, the last piece I'd say that I've learned while operating this the, this venture, I think, as you said, is is the focus on the investing and on people's money, because that is at the core of this. Um, and you know, <clears throat> it was sort of a realization, you know. It's something I always knew, but there was some point, and I can't remember exactly when, where I just sort of sat back and I thought, you know, we think so much about the technology and the user experience, um, but at its core, it's people's money, and, -hmm. and, you know, let's remember that first, um, first and foremost. So that's been one of the big um, recognitions for me. Yeah, Yeah,
0: I it's it's always interesting to like you know you always hear about big founders and everything and being in the chief of staff role having just witnessed the entire life, profession life inside out. I'm sure was a fascinating experience and the learning. Experience. Yeah,
1: it's a great experience. It was a great opportunity um, to see see how he he thinks about the company and 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 to learn from his experiences over time and to hear about the history of of this company and when it had challenges and how we overcame them. Uh, it's perspective that. You know, I wouldn't have gotten any other way.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So given that all this perspective that you also have right now and obviously your association with Wharton, do you have any advice for MBA students who are now looking to enter the industry again, either maybe in the roles of being investment managers with some firms or actually starting their own companies in this space or even just generally you know, starting a company at all because there's a lot of people who have those ambitions either right now or maybe a few years down the road.
1: Oh, absolutely. And there are so many um, there are so many folks who've, you know, recently graduated business school and had such success starting companies um, in FinTech or other industries. Um, you know, I'd say, you know, like I said, um, cliche, but focus on your passion. And then um, once you're... Uh, working on whatever you're working on, be relentlessly and ruthlessly focused on building a great client experience. And and actually, to the other Chuck point point from about Chuck, remain optimistic. Um, it doesn't always succeed at first. Actually, uh, Charles Schwab is the third company that Chuck Schwab started. Um, the first two clearly didn't have the success this company did, and you see that with a lot of founders. Right. Uh, I'm 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 based here in San Francisco. I get to meet lots of Lots of people in the fintech space in the startup world. Uh, quite often, it takes more than one try. And you can see, you know, some of the best um, companies, uh, best startup companies in in the fintech space, aren't on their first business model. Um, you've got to remain positive, and you got to be willing to to um, make changes along the way because uh, you don't know how the market's going to react to what you do. Um, just got to keep trying to make a a great product for for investors or for consumers and whatever industry you're in Um, but it's an exciting time to be um, graduating from school because it is uh, there's there are such great opportunities to to build new companies or work in larger companies that are that are really innovating so uh, it's a I think it's a great time to be be in your shoes yeah
0: it certainly is and um... It's heartening for us because the interest in fintech, even since the club just began in 2014, has grown so much. And we have about 300 members already. And every time, every year, there's a new flavor. Last year, people were interested in insure tech, and now blockchain happens to become really big. Plus, you have like interest in like the fundamentals of payments, lending, and management. Always there. So it's an exciting time to be here and just see how things are changing. And. Yeah,
1: yeah, great activity across the across the financial space. You, you hit on some of them there. There's so much happening.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I would, before I let you go, um, what is your favorite memory of Wharton? thing, perhaps that you miss the most of not being here with your students. You know, I think the
1: the thing I I loved most about Wharton and in business school was, you know, all the great folks who who I was friends with and in class with. And the opportunity to really just think about um, big questions all the time with them, and just have 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 great times. Um, Actually, I recently got together with a bunch of my friends from Wharton, um, uh, and and we were reminiscing and just you know, it's just a great experience to be around so many uh, smart, uh, energetic, engaged people who are really thinking about the long run. Uh, You know, just make the most of make the most of your classmates.
0: No, absolutely. And um, Advice well taken. I feel like there isn't enough time to make the most of them, but to the extent we can, we certainly try our best. Um, Tobin, thank you so much uh, for spending time with us. Uh, this was a really insightful conversation for me, and I'm sure for all our listeners. Learned a lot about, you know, your views on investment management, robo-advisory, the balance of having automation versus the human element and just where the industry is growing. And, of course, you're learning from uh, your experience with uh, Chuck Schwab and just generally being in such a successful career so far. So we wish you all the best, and we'll certainly be in touch with you. Thanks so much. Thanks for your time, Nipun.